You're listening to Music Tectonics. Welcome back to Music Tectonics, where we go beneath the surface of music and tech. I'm your host, Dimitri Vitsa. I'm also the founder and CEO of Rock, Paper, Scissors. We are a PR firm that specializes in music technology. And if you follow the music tectonics world and go along with us on our online adventures, offline adventures, audio adventures, then you know that just earlier this year during the NAM conference, they actually switched to online this year, obviously, because of the pandemic, and they called the, the event Believe in Music. We were able to pull together a really cool session with a lot of the most innovative musical instrument makers, software makers, and apps uh, in the kind of in the musical making world. And we had a guy named Tobias von Hofsten, who's the evangelist at Teenage Engineering Hop On, a company that I've really admired for a long time. Um, they do such an amazing job of making really playful instruments and other electronic gear um, and also just really high quality tech. So I was able to recruit our guest for today and I'm really excited to invite onto the show the co-founder and VP at Teenage Engineering, David Mollerstedt. How are you doing today, David? Good. Uh, thanks for inviting me. Yeah. So you're, um, you're calling in from Stockholm. Yes. Uh, we're based in Stockholm, Sweden. Yeah, I'm looking forward to digging in to learn a little bit more about what it's like there. Um, but let's just kick it off with the basics. For anyone who doesn't know, what is Teenage Engineering? I, I usually say we were a company that works with design and technology, usually with a large portion of, of sound involved. Um, and we do products, consumer products, basically stuff we want ourselves. Um, a lot of them has been synthesizers. We've done some speakers, but... We have a quite broad spectrum of things we're looking at. Cool. So what did the company become known for? I think we first got known for the OP1, which was our first product. Uh, that's a portable synthesizer that we did 10 years ago. Uh, it was launched. Cool. And then um, the pocket operators came on. Yeah. Uh, in terms of outreach, that's probably the products that uh, has gone the furthest. Um, I mean, they, they are a little bit cheaper as well, so that probably helps. Some of our other products tend to end up a little bit higher in price um, because of the way we want to make stuff. Right. It, it, it shows. It really does show. Um, is, is, so is, the po is my impression correct that the pocket operator is kind of how most people discover the company at first now? I don't know. Maybe. You're probably right. It could also be through some of our collaborations. We did some stuff with IKEA that probably a lot of people saw. Um, I think that's also a way that uh, we get noticed. Yeah, cool. All right, I want to dig in. Let's let's just, since we're talking about the operator, um, describe the, the line, what they look like, how they sound, and then, then after that, I want to get into your origin story as a company. Uh, it's a little bit like, like um, the persons in a band. So they all do one part. So you have like the drummer, the bass player, uh, someone's playing the melody. Um, and you can hook them up together to form your own band or play with other instruments. Right. So what was the first one you did? The very first one was for Moogfest, uh, kind of just as a test if it was at all possible to do something uh, in that form factor. And it was. Uh, and it was done really quickly by Jonathan. Uh, and there are some of these units still out, I think. Uh, and that was the drum machine, the PO12. Ah, gotcha. And, and can you describe a little bit of how some of those pocket operators sound? They sound quite different, I would say. Uh, I mean, they all have their distinct flavors. 
we also have a, a sampler PO now, the, the, the knockout, and that can basically sound like whatever you want to sample. And the cool thing about them is they're tiny. They're like the size of little calculators. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we want to do portable stuff. Almost everything we do is something you can carry uh, in your pocket. Um, and for these, they're really portable, quite affordable, uh, and they come as more or less a bare PCB. So you can get the case for them. We also uh, published uh, so you can print your own cases if you want. Like on a 3D printer? Yeah, uh, and there is some re- really wild designs out there that other has has done, uh, and it's partly uh, to keep the price down and have the product really focused. Uh, we wanted to to get as much as possible in the hands of people. So, do you have some pretty uh, fanatical users who buy like all of them and put them together as little mini electronic bands and orchestras? <laughs> Yeah, it's great what people do and chain them up. And also how people just live jam on this is, I think, completely amazing. I've seen some videos, which is just, wow. Yeah, yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, so they're they're really small. Um, you know, some of them are uh, themed after particular video game lines. So you can get a very specific 8-bit sound that's associated with a particular game. Um, and then other ones are really voice, voice like musical instrument voice specific. Like you said, there's bass, there's drums, um, you've got sampler. Uh, are we missing any good categories of pocket operators we should mention? That, that covers it pretty well. Um, the Capcom series we did last year was really fun, I think. Um, a lot of us has done stuff in video games. I worked for five years. Um, it was fun to connect uh, with the Capcom team uh, and get the original samples from these classic games. Uh, that was fun. Also, the Rick and Morty uh, that we did, where we recorded new content for that one. Um, what, what's been the reaction to the to the Capcom and the, and the video game ones? Uh, have you seen some cool? What, what kinds of cool stuff have you seen come out of those? Yeah, it's been, it's been very positive. I think uh, it's um, I, it, it's always I think mind blowing to see what people do with the tools we create even if we do our best in trying to push the limits when we use them there is always things coming out that we didn't expect yeah so you mentioned the first one came out at a at a moog fest sounds like it was kind of like a demo product to see if it would work but what was what was your thinking uh why did you start making and, and selling those pocket operators yeah, the Moog Fest, that was kind of a, a test we did. And then uh, a little later, we released the first the, the 10 series uh, with three units. We did that together with Ship Monday. Uh, we know some people there and we wanted to have some work where. And then they asked if they could have something from us. And we we're like, yeah, of course, we do synthesizers. Uh, and it should be something that they could sell along side by side with a pair of jeans. And that kind of sparked the whole um, price idea to make it as as cheap as absolutely possible, uh, which has opened up to, to a lot of lots more people to get it. So I think it's great. What's what's the retail price in the in the U.S.? Uh, that's not a good question for me to answer. <laughs> I, 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 I usually I feel like it's like a hundred eighty dollars or something like that. I think it's usually less, isn't it? Like fifty nine to ninety nine or something oh. like that. Hmm. I don't know. I'll have to look it up. <laughs> we'll, we'll look it up. <laughs> maybe, I, maybe I should know these numbers. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so um, 
Let's let's back up a little bit. What's the origin story of the company, Teenage Engineering? Who are the founders? Um, how'd you get into the mix? What's your role? All that stuff. But let's start at the beginning. Uh, we're four people. It's me, uh, Jesper, who, who does most uh, of uh, all the the visual design, and also is kind of a, I usually call him our creative leader. Uh, then is David, another David, uh, who is on the hardware side. Uh, and then is Jens, uh, who is kind of the bridge between hardware and software. Uh, and my role early on was software and audio. Now we, we're a few more. We're like around 50 people. So, of course, in the early days, everyone was doing everything. And the story dates back to around 2000. I worked at a company called Electron on the other side of Sweden. Yeah, great company. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're still around. So uh, back then, we all knew each other and did stuff together uh, and kind of dreamed about doing fun, portable, powerful instruments. Uh, and the tech wasn't really there for that. Then a few years later, things have happened. I moved up to Stockholm, spent some time in gaming. The others have done other stuff. Um, Jesper did a lot of commercial and fashion. Jens and David did some, some gaming and some, I think, casino backend stuff. Um, and we were only a place where we wanted to, to actually do this. And the tech was there. There was like low power CPUs, um, batteries and screens. Most of that coming from the cell phone uh, industry. Um, and we decided to do the OP1. Uh, and that's how it started. Interesting. So you kind of already had the interest. All of you were kind of doing your own thing in different spaces with different areas of expertise. There was sort of like a unspoken like man it'd be cool to do this thing but then when the technology because of all the cell phone development came came became available and accessible and and priced in a way that actually could make something like that work you guys kind of naturally uh came together like a magnet and and started working on it yeah um, i mean it was exactly like that we will had kind of the parts needed uh but we felt we could pull this off so we just decided to do it Awesome. That's cool. So um, I think we should take a quick break for an announcement. And when we come back, I want to ask you um, a little bit more about some of the most crazy uses of the, the pocket operator line that you've heard out there in the wild. And then uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that and then get into the other lines that you have as well. We'll be right back. Let's meet up next Tuesday. We host Together Tuesdays, a virtual meetup in the Music Tectonics community app, the social network for music tech. Starting at 2 p.m. Eastern, that's 11 a.m. Pacific or 7 p.m. in the UK, join the Music Tectonics team in the app. Post, comment, share links, and use the tag Together Tuesday to get involved. Ask each other questions, discuss recent podcast episodes, or share the music tech and music biz news of the week. And if you're a member of Clubhouse, I'll be there at the same time for an audio-only music tech chat. In our app, look for the hashtag TogetherTuesday and use it in your posts and comments. Every month, we will feature our favorite interactions on the podcast. If you're not on the Music Tectonics community app yet, I'll tell you how to join in at the end of this episode. Welcome back. Uh, like I said, we've got David Mollerstedt here with Teenage Engineering. We're talking about uh, the origins of the company, their f the product line that uh, kind of has re received some mass adoption, pocket operators, and then we'll get into some other stuff after that. But first, I want to ask you, David, what are some of the craziest uses that you've seen of, of pocket operators out there in the wild? I think it's really fun when people combine it with other stuff. Uh, build into installations or, or uh, maybe hook up to a modular system or something like that. I like that uh, about the uh, synth scene that it's all about combining stuff. 
Um, even if maybe for the OP1, we create that so you can make a full song on that. I think m- almost all the time there is other stuff involved, uh, other components. It might end up in a computer in the end uh, and get some treatment and so on. Uh, and I really like that uh, way to combine a lot of different stuff. Yeah, cool. So if someone's going to buy their first pocket operator, which one should they start with? And then where should they go after that? It depends on who you want to be in the band, so to say. Right. Uh, so it's, it's a matter of taste, I think. Um, I always think drum machines are easy start uh, because that's you can easily make fun stuff with it and it's such a good fundament. Um, I also think the sampler and voice uh, pocket operates are really interesting. I'd say one of, one of those is probably what I would go go with. Gotcha. Cool. And, and that's uh, Knockout and Tonic. Uh, that's the names of them. Yeah. yeah. Got it. Very cool. So you guys make a lot of other cool instruments and gear. I don't want to focus just on Pocket Operator just because I kind of got one and got enthralled with it. What are some of the other product lines that people should know about? Um, yeah, we already spoke a bit about the OP1. Um, th- that is our flagship product and, and probably what we... At least before the pocket operators become widely spread, we're most known for. Mm-hmm. Then the OPZ, uh, which is interesting because it has the visual aspect. There's a unit integration. Uh, you, you can sequence DMX lighting, lasers, smoke machines, whatever runs on DMX. And on the speaker side, we have the OD11, which is a remake of a classic Swedish hi-fi speaker. Um, by a designer called Steve Carlson. Uh, and we put in AirPlay and Spotify Connect uh, and all the modernities into it. And so OD11 kind of has, does it have the smart speaker side to it too? Or it's it's not so much on the microphone side, more on the output side? Yeah, it's on the output side. Uh, it's about how we listen to music. We, we realized suddenly you have all access to all this music, but you end up listening in your laptop speakers. It doesn't make sense. It's like something fundamentally wrong with that. Uh, so we wanted to make a, a really good sounding speaker that would also nice looking uh, in your room. Right. Yeah. It's kind of interesting how much emphasis you guys put. You're kind of on this interesting line between music and sound and and, and lighting and tech, and then the look of the pieces. Are, I mean, it's. From our perspective, it looks very Swedish in a sense. Like it's like the thought, it's not purely like, oh, this was the most functional thing to do or the cheapest thing to do. So let's just put it out like that. Everything looks like there's a lot of thought put into the lines and the shape and the design and the surfaces. Yeah, there is a lot of thought put into that. And um, I I like that we do that uh, a lot. But, but it's also not that we design stuff for the sake of adding design. It's actually very functional in a way, I would say, um, because whatever is there is there for a reason. Yeah, I think maybe that's the Swedish way to do stuff. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you mentioned the OP1, the portable synthesizer, and it is super small. And it is very, you want to touch it as soon as you see it. It's got just enough color to make you want to touch a knob. It's got just the smoothness. That there's some texture and smoothness at the same time to the buttons. It's very, very interesting. And you want to just, looks like you just want to pick it up. 
Yeah, um, yeah, that it's good if you feel like that. It should be like candy that you should want to touch it. But it's also uh, has functional use. I mean, the color coding is reflected in the graphics. So whatever a knob controls has the same color in the display. Um, so it's also there for a reason. Yeah, and and you mentioned you kind of went quickly over some of the features of the OP one, um, uh, mentioning that there's some some. Uh, motion sensor and some ability to control other things beyond sound um it's i see it's got a built-in fm radio <laughs> which is crazy but yeah the, the controlling lights and such that's for the opz and the op1 mm. is uh has the fm radio um and and a lot of other features as well um, we wanted we want to put in as much as possible what do people do with the built-in FM radio? Oh, it's great f- for sampling back when a lot of people traveled. If you go somewhere and just dial in any radio channel, whatever you create gets a, kind of a, a vibe from the location. I think that's a really nice way to kind of uh, capture the place where you're creative. And, and tell me about the, the G-Force sensor, the motion control effects. What, what can you do with that? Yeah, you, you can basically route that to, to whatever internally. Uh, so it's a little a bit like um, uh, you know, a band arm on a guitar. So different types of expressive controllers you can attach to the synthesizer. Yeah. Have you seen, what, what are some of your favorite use cases of that that you've seen? Uh, I mean, it's all about how much you move it. The more you move it, the more happens. Yeah, cool. So um, we haven't talked about the OB4, which is also called the Magic Radio, which is kind of interesting because now that we're talking about the FM radio component of the OP1, it makes me think, oh, I can now see the pathway here. When I saw the Magic Magic Radio at first, I was like, wait, they make musical instruments and speakers. They're making a radio? That's so like retro. (laughs) It doesn't look retro at all. It looks like it's from a spaceship. But uh, what's the? Why did you make the Magic Magic Radio, and what does it do? Uh, yeah, I really like the OB4, uh, not just because it's our latest release. Um, it it has this uh, uh, factor to it that it changes the behavior a little bit. Uh, since I got mine at home, I'm listening to radio a lot more. Uh, and, and also music is like, you don't really know why you needed it, but once you have it, it becomes essential. Uh, and the way it's playful uh, and you can rewind and uh, if you didn't hear what they were saying you you can have a second chance or if it's music you can start looping and experimenting what happened if you do stuff Uh, it's a fun one Um, and it's kind of a natural progression from the OD11 taking what we learned from that and putting it into a portable format Right, so that's the wireless stereo speaker we were talking about before. Exactly. Yeah, so it's a natural progression from that in the sense of, just like you said, oh, everyone's listening to music through crappy speakers on a laptop. Here's this wireless stereo speaker. What if we did that for radio? Yeah, and what if we did that so you can take it to the park or the beach uh, or wherever? Right, because you can also play wireless music to it as well. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, it's beautiful looking, and so you, you, you can bring some style along with while listening to at a higher quality, and then you have this weird little feature with a rewind on radio, which has never really existed in a portable device I've ever heard of. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it feels almost like cheating with time, because radio used to be always live, 
uh, um, now you can like go back. Oh, what did they say? Oh, they said that. Mm, interesting. And then before you know, you start remixing on the beach. Absolutely, it happens a lot. <laughs> can you have multiple uh, multiple samples, or it's just one that's you're you're it, kind of building? It, yeah, it's one, uh, but you can uh, change the playback speed uh, and loop points and all of that. So, so in a way, you're doing for the radio what turntablists did for the turntable. Kind of, yeah. That that's that's yeah. a good way to look at it. Um, and it, it also is kind of in line what we've been doing. Uh, the OP1 has a built-in virtual tape in it. Um, it's combining different parts of what we've done in a new way. Since we're audio only as a podcast, it can be a little bit tricky to keep up with these different products, especially when the names are so similar. So what we've been talking about is the pocket operator. That's a little calculator-sized guy that um, that uh, looks a little bit, yeah, it looks like a calculator, but it's built out of parts that became available because of the cell phone era. That's the pocket operator. There's tons of them. Um, and uh, and I did look it up real quick. It's $49 is the lowest end one in US. So I got the price wrong earlier in the uh, in the podcast, but it's, there's, you know, different models have different prices, but you can get them really inexpensively right at the beginning and you can build up a whole collection. Again, that's the pocket operator. The, the, the pocket synthesizer that you became known for originally was the op1 it's also very handhold very portable but really more of a robust synthesizer and we mentioned it also has a, an fm radio component um not that that's the key feature necessarily but it's just kind of an interesting unique thing we talked about the od11 which is a, a bigger wireless stereo speaker it's kind of your chance to get music playing out of people's devices and into a real speaker um, wirelessly and it's beautifully designed um, we mentioned the opz which is the multimedia synthesizer and sequencer which is kind of like a level up from the op1 significantly and being able to control lights and a lot of other stuff there and then we've been talking about the ob4 which is the the magic radio now you guys have also done collaborations with different brands you mentioned tell us about the ikea collaboration do you pronounce it frequens um yeah thanks for doing that uh, wrap up that was really oh really cool. good frequens <laughs> uh, uh, in swedish is frequency um, so that's the name of the line, uh, and it's lights and speakers. Uh, same there, we really like to combine uh, the visual and audio side of things, um, and we did it uh, with IKEA as a, I think they call it temporary collection, um, mm -hmm. and it was sold uh, at their warehouses. No, what do you say? Their stores. stores. Mega stores. Yeah. They're mega. They are like they are kind of like warehouses, yeah. but well designed warehouses. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and it was one off, and I think it sold sold out really quickly. So wait, before we go on, David, I looked at this um, online. I hadn't seen it before. There's speakers and lights. It's basically like a modular system. You can buy different parts and piece it together however you want. It also happens to have holes in it, so you can also do the IKEA DIY stuff that people love to do, which sounds like it's musically and sonically something you guys encourage users on the other tools that you make, the other pro uh, projects you guys make. Um, so it's got this interesting hybrid look between the teenage engineering look, um, which has a bit of a futurist playfulness, and then the IKEA colorful, um, easy to set up kind of <laughs> kind of vibe, right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the concept is uh, do your own disco at home really quickly and easily. Uh, and depending on, on how big your home is, you can scale it. 
I got to ask, who initiated that? Was that you guys or them? Good question. I'm not <laughs> sure how that came about. I mean, we talked to them for a long time uh, on different ideas, and then this happened. Usually these collaborations, I mean, sometimes it's clear some someone comes to us with a question or we reach out uh, like we did with the Capcom um, but usually we just talk a lot with people we like uh, and after a while um, something like this might happen yeah yeah it's it's really interesting so did you say those are sold out like those don't, don't exist anymore yeah yeah they only did one one run um, because it's this temporary collection um, and from what we understood, they sold out really, really quickly. So yeah, or maybe we now have to pay ten times as much to buy them on the uh, the aftermarket. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> I noticed they also did um, what was it? Waterproof pillows <laughs> and raincoats and stuff that went in the same line. There were there was sort of like a party a party theme. Like you could yeah. see somebody saying, "Yeah, we're going to get this party out of control." <laughs> Yeah, we, we weren't involved in that. Um, that's, I don't know how that came about. Well, it's fun to see. What about this other, is it Baidu? Is that how you pronounce the, the company you collaborated oh, with? Yeah, Baidu, um, usually referred to as Chinese Google. Mm-hmm. And what did you guys do with them? We did uh, industrial design for a smart speaker. And we also did some prototypes of a six-axis robot. Uh, <laughs> for home use uh, also like a smart assistant kind of uh, device the speaker uh, they put in production on a super fast timeline it was like six months from from start to finish wow um, yeah and it's Amazing. called the raven h yeah yeah uh, and the raven r which is a robot uh, we only did prototypes for uh, they never put that into production yeah oh. You guys like to do those things, though, innovate and and invent stuff. So, so for yeah, you, the um, prototype's almost as important as the as the product. <laughs> yeah, the, the, they came to us asking for a speaker, um, but they got the robot on top of that. <laughs> uh, and when we showed that, they were like, oh, "We can't decide. We need both. You need to at least make this into prototype stage." I see. Well, maybe something will come with that someday. The the Raven H is colorful. Um, it looks like a stack of tiles with the top one being uh, kind of bendable so you can point the speaker. Yeah, you can point it and that's, that it's also rem- removable uh, so you can bring that with you. The top one? Yep. Oh, oh, so it's there's like a base and then you've got this real portable little even like it's it's very pocket sized. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, so those collaborations are interesting. Um, do you see that as a direction you'll continue to go in? Yeah, I mean, I mean we like that. We always done these things. In the early days, sometimes we, d- we did stuff just to get money for tooling or something like that. Um, now it's more about finding interesting partners to uh, work with and meet up and become friend- friends with. And we can also explore other stuff that doesn't really fit into to our main product lines. Yeah, in your free time, right? Yeah, that's of course a problem to, to fit everything into <laughs> <laughs> to, 
24 hours per day. Yeah. Awesome. Well, cool. Yeah. That was great doing that deep dive with you into the different product lines and the collaborations and stuff. I want to take another quick break for an announcement from Music Tectonics. And when we come back, I want to talk to you a little bit about the scene in Stockholm. I'm really interested in the innovation and the music. There's so many cool things coming out of Sweden. And uh, we'll be right back. Music Tectonics listeners are the smartest music tech minds out there. And this is your chance to speak up and win a prize. Every week, I pose a big question for you to answer in the Music Tectonics community app. This month's big question winner is Michael Herndon, who answered a question about how the music industry handles the attribution, monetization, and rights of samples, loops, and beats. Mike hopes to see licensing samples become simpler and more accessible, saying, Music inspires people, and when someone samples your music, it's a compliment. We're going to send Mike a copy of The Innovator's DNA by Clayton Christensen. This follow-up book to Christensen's The Innovator's Dilemma focuses on mastering the five skills of disruptive innovators. Thanks for answering my question, Mike. And to everyone who answered a big question this month, keep it up. Here's a fresh big question for this episode. Teenage Engineering has done some cool collaborations with other companies like IKEA. What partnerships would you like to see music tech or musical instrument companies do with household goods or lifestyle brands? Get creative. Okay, so answer that question in the Music Tectonics amp and you'll have a chance to win Malcolm Gladwell's book, David and Goliath, Underdogs, Misfits, and the Art of Battling Giants. You know you want to get that book. It's great. It's one of my faves. Look for the post that goes with this episode and the Music Tectonics app community forum. We'll tag it hashtag the big question and you can respond in the comments. There's a new question every week. If you're not a Music Tectonics app member yet, I'll let you know how to join at the end of this episode. Now back to the show. Okay, we're back. Uh, David, like I said, I want to ask you, what's the music creation scene like in Stockholm and how's that influence what you as a company do? I think it's it's a good scene here um, in terms of like the dev scene. Uh, we have ourselves, we have propeller heads that make reason, excellent audio, um, a lot of small plug-in manufacturers. Um, so so we meet up meet every now and then and, and talk and have a few drinks. Uh, and when, when Nam was physical, we also used to meet up there. Um, weirdly enough uh, that's where we decided we need to meet, meet up in Stockholm as well it, we can't only meet up in Anaheim once <laughs> per year that doesn't make any sense <laughs> I know that's true for a lot of the did, both the musical instrument and the music recording industry the live industry you could be in the same town and you go to the conference every year and it feels like a reunion and then you realize you hadn't seen that person for a year even though they lived down the street from you <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we had that like two years in a row and they were like, no, we have to have something going <laughs> in Stockholm as well. So do you uh, do like a formal formal meetups or, or very informal just getting yeah, together? Yeah, it's, it's very informal. We just uh, meet up when whenever we can. Mm -hmm. um, then we also have Klavia uh, on the same uh, island. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's very dense in, in terms of uh, music creation people here. Yeah. Um, and I think there is also a nice crossover to the gaming scene. There's a lot of game development. It's quite similar in many ways in terms of making something highly polished, user-friendly, pushing the limits of hardware. Um, so that's also a good scene to be part of, I think. What do you think it is about the culture there in Stockholm or Sweden overall, or the history that has led to so many interesting, cool 
music and gaming companies being there and having success worldwide? I think it's probably multiple things. We have good education and, and universities are free. Um, we have good internet and have had that for a long time. Um, for, for music, uh, at least when I was young, we had uh, like a, a government music school that you can go to. Kommunala Musikskolan. It's actually not government, it's local government. Hmm. Um, I think that did lots for like all the music that comes out of Sweden. That's so interesting. Um, it makes me think about conversations that are happening worldwide. For example, in, in, the, in the United States, certainly there's been a lot of conversation about cuts in the arts for schools. And, um, you know, he, here a lot of times um, the arts are kind of seen as like an add-on, you know, and so they don't get a lot of, they don't get a lot of priority. And then some things get forced to, uh, you know, happen outside of the regular funding and people have to go and do funding for the arts and things like that. And instead of focusing on actually learning the stuff, um, and, and then the internet access one uh, is really interesting that you bring that up because um, we've talked for well over a year on Music Tectonics about the, the coming of 5G and what the impact is. And what we're sort of seeing kind of in the horizon is that there's a lot of parts of the world where the phone is the first internet connected device. They skipped dial up, they, stick, they skipped ethernet, they skipped fiber, and they're going straight to the phone and, um, and seeing what kind of creativity and ingenuity and entrepreneurship comes out of that connectedness it's really interesting to think about you're talking about how the internet having access to high-speed internet for such a long time in sweden has impacted the business the ability to do business and to be creative and to design and develop it'll be i don't know have you thought about that about how that's going to ripple through the rest of the world when other people catch up with some of the <laughs> some of the policies there i think it's going to be super interesting um and i, I mean having um broadband in cables it isn't anything that you would need to have. If you have good 5G, then, then you're set. Uh, and I think people are going to be super creative around that. Um, while we're talking about Stockholm, Spotify is there. What has the impact been for, for you and for the scene there to see Spotify emerge and become really the leading player in music streaming in most, most of the, the Western world and now expanding out from there? What, what's that been like? What are your observations there? I mean, for us, it was good to have Spotify basically a few subway stops away. Um, we integrated Spotify Connect really, really early. We were probably the first commercial speaker with spotify connect in it um but that's helpful uh we talk to them a lot um it's also interesting that they and, and this is uh, i guess two-sided for us they bring a lot of good people here but they also hire a lot of good people that might be interesting for us yeah um but in the long run i think that's just positive that there is this concentration of, of uh skilled uh, interested people uh, that like music in, from all aspects i mean they cover everything uh, around music yeah are um do you also see more traffic into stockholm from potential partnerships and and other types of conversations do people come to visit spotify and then you get a meeting with them as well or i mean sometimes that happens uh it's like when artists are, are were touring they were sometimes dropping by our office uh, and 
same with like people who who are going to Spotify on business checked in with us uh, to see to say hi as well. If I come to Stockholm and I want to check in on the music scene, what should I do? Are there clubs I should go to? Are there um, festivals? Are there experiences? Food? Any anything I should check out to be like, oh, this is where all the music people are, or just to get a flavor? I mean, I guess we'll have to see when everything opens up uh, how it's going to be. Assuming everything opens up, let's say it's a year from now, are there any things that what what's the first thing you'd say? Oh, Dimitri, you should go do. Well, I, I'm not sure it's going to be exactly like it was before. So mm. I don't know. I mean... You're breaking my heart, man. <laughs> but that could be good as well. I mean, because we also learned a lot of stuff through this, I think. Uh, I mean, definitely, I think everyone w- wants to see live music uh, and go out uh, and do all of that. So that's going to come back for sure. But I, I'm not sure it's going to be exactly like it was before. Uh, and I don't think that's a bad thing. Uh, necessarily wow. i mean m- maybe we value it even more now that w- we really know how much we miss it so there'll be less people in the back of the bar talking and more people listening <laughs> yeah maybe i mean and i think that that could be healthy yeah interesting i like your perspective very cool to have that so what are some other new music gear software or apps that are not made by teenage engineering that you're excited about? You've mentioned some some obviously some some companies that are there in Stockholm, but when when you're like, "Oh, talking to a friend who's in music, what do you say? Oh, you should check out such and such." Is there any gear or software apps that you're excited about? I think there is a lot of interesting things happening in the modular scene now. Uh, especially when things are going beyond like making a, a super high quality analog oscillator, uh, stuff like uh, video processing and sequencers uh, and going into more like uh, digital synth uh, stuff. So I think that that's a really good playground or scene where, where there is room to be uh, experimenting with lots of new ideas. Yeah. Um, you guys, we didn't even mention you guys do have a uh, pocket operator modular series as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure we do. I mean, that's maybe not in the form factor that most modulars are, but it's completely compatible with the modular world. Uh, but our take was we still wanted to do something uh, where it's easier to get something out of it uh, and just a module doing one thing felt like it wasn't really enough yeah yeah um that's that's cool um anything else any other uh, specific gear or software that that uh, you want to make a shout out for i mean there, there's so much um stuff out there i think a, a really interesting thing was uh magnus uh, um, who worked with us on the tonic and um he, he did a machine learning algorithm to replicate old drum machines and that's for his microtonic uh software uh, so so the tonic is one of the pocket operators um, and it has a little little part of, of that code in it uh, and i think those kind of things where where you push things even further and i think also these kind of advanced machine learning techniques are, are very interesting yeah, interesting. So, so, so this this guy has his own um, has his own VST, and you're saying that um, he's done some interesting stuff with some retro drum machine sounds within the VST, and then you he applied some of that code to the pocket operator tonic as well. Yeah, got it. 
Yeah. All right. We got to check that one out. Microtonic and the tonic pocket operator. Cool. So uh, we're going to wrap up shortly here, but I would like to ask you one more big picture question, David. What's your take on where the music industry is going? What are the seismic shifts that excite you and what are the shifts that scare you? I think one thing that is happening is it's much easier to do stuff now than it was before. It used to be like anyone who can do a decent render, put it up on like Kickstarter, got some funding and then nothing happened. But now things are actually happening. I think it's much easier to do low volume, high quality production. And that, that's really great, I think. Uh, it, it's not like, like you have to be one of, of the big names to get something out there. So really on the manufacturing and, and, and creativity side of the actual instruments and, and software you're saying, there's, there's a, um, an accessibility for people to actually create stuff. Yeah, I think so. And it, it's it, it's not really only within the, the music instrument scene. I think that's a, a big shift happening in manufacturing. But I think it makes a lot of sense in, in our world to be able to do do things on a slightly smaller scale, but with the same uh, finish that you would normally need to make like millions of units to get. Yeah, awesome. Well, we're certainly seeing that um, lots of cool creative stuff is being built, and uh, it does feel like it's accelerating. So it's interesting to hear your perspective as somebody who kind of lived through that moment in time where you could actually make this stuff yourself, and now you're saying, wow, the, the pace of it's accelerating even more. Yeah, and I think that's, uh, I mean, the interesting thing with musical instruments is the more musical instruments that are made the more people make music the better it is for everyone so it's not like a competitive world where if someone makes some something good that takes away something from someone else it just builds uh, and that's really nice to kind of uh, be uh, in a situation like that that's that's an awesome vision and i think it's a great way to wrap up the conversation it's been great to have you david appreciate you coming in this is david mollerstedt joining us co-founder and vp at teenage engineering out of stockholm sweden what a pleasure to talk to you thanks for giving your insights sharing a little bit about what you guys are up to in your perspective david thanks a lot it was fun yeah i'll have to come to stockholm uh, when things open up and are different and weird but cool Hey, thank you for listening to Music Tectonics. If you like what you hear, please hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Become a part of the Music Tectonics community, a social network just for music tech aficionados like you. It's free to join. Use it on the web at app.musictectonics.com or find the mobile app for Apple and Android devices in the relevant app stores. Connect with people from all corners of music and tech, answer the big question, and meet me there on Together Tuesdays. There's more about the community app, this podcast episode, our annual conference, and our newsletter at musictectonics.com. Peace! You're listening to Music Tectonics.